Therefore, this morning, we lift our eyes to you, Lord Jesus, in whom the fullness of the Father dwelt and is revealed. We look to you. Let the hearing of your word generate even more faith, Lord, in you. That truly we can walk from faith unto faith and bring you glory even today. We believe. You are all that you say you are. Now and forever. For you never change. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Speak to us. Pray through us. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 We'll continue from right where we stopped yesterday. We'll turn to Gospel according to Luke, chapter 9 and verse 23. Oh, Mark 9, 23. Mark 9, 23. 9 and verse 23. Jesus said to him, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Jesus doesn't randomly make statements. Because the word of God says there was no deceit found in his mouth. That means every word he speaks. That's what I said. It's good to have a red letter Bible. Mm. Because the other words a lot of people have spoken, it is history. It is not doctrine. You need to understand. Sometimes we take wrong statements of people in the Bible and make it into doctrine. Because in their misery and in their pressure, they say a lot of things and we take it, we preach it and make it a doctrine. It is not the truth of God. But when it comes to Jesus, okay, every word that he has spoken is doctrine. It is true. If you can believe, okay, and now he's speaking, remember, he's speaking to the people of Israel, the people under the law, to whom the law was given, the most difficult thing under the law, most difficult thing under the law, was to be declared righteous and be saved by the law. That was the most difficult thing. Yet they were called to live by the law. So in Galatians 3.11, and then Romans 3, 20 to 24, this is what the Bible says. No one is justified by the law in the sight of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified, that word, please remember that word. It's not the word justified that is important. The word that is important is freely. Freely. It's not a small statement, it's a huge statement because we don't understand that the weight of that statement that we are justified freely by his grace through redemption that is in Christ. Yes, no, go further down. Yeah, it should be enough, okay? Redemption that is there in Christ. So in Mark 16 and verse 15, and 16, this is the gospel that we preach. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. What is this gospel? The gospel that we free is that all have sinned, but God justifies everyone freely. Freely. 
what does it mean freely? One, you can buy it. It is not for sale. You can't earn it. You can buy it. You can't earn it. It is given freely. To whom? Anyone and everyone who believes. Who believes. And this was impossible under the law. Under the law. And God gives it freely to anyone who believes. So, people who have worked and slaved all their life under the law, and then a Gentile comes and walks it with freely with what this man has been working for all his law, and they get so angry. You need to understand why the Pharisees and the scribes were so angry, because they are working and working and working and working and working for righteousness, and Jesus says you will never get it, but you can freely receive it like that. And there were the poor, the prostitutes, the publicans who were just taking it and walking away. So they were angry, they were frustrated with him. But let's go to the other side. You and I believed for the most difficult thing under the law. Most difficult thing under the law, by faith. And once that happens in Romans 1.17, God comes and says this. For in this gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. If we believe for the most difficult thing by faith, he says everything else is only by faith. That's why we are, God is looking at us. We, we are consistently learning what God is trying to. He says there's only one way you can live. Those who are saved. For you, there's only one way to love. Let's turn to my gospel according to Matthew and turn to chapter 9 and we'll read from verse 27 to 30. When Jesus departed, please remember, where is Jesus departing? He was on the way. The woman with the issue of the blood comes and touch. She gets healed. Before that, Jairus had come and fallen on his feet and Jairus' daughter is now raised from the dead. And then Jesus departed from there. Two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, Son of God, have mercy on us. And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be to you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, saying, See that no one knows. These are these very powerful incidents put together from Mark 4 onwards to 5. This narrative is continuing. This narrative is continuing. If you look in Mark, that's the order. But in Matthew also, it's practically the same order. So Jesus, in verse 28, asks a question. Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said, yes, Lord. But go to verse 27 and then to Hebrews 4 and verse 16. This is crucial. Verse 27, when Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, son of David, have mercy on us. Hebrews 4.16 says, this is our standard format for every day, every moment. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace 
and find, we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The simple, fundamental fact about mercy is that you and I don't deserve it. If we deserve it, it is not mercy. It is not mercy. The nature of mercy is that we do not deserve it. Now please understand this. That is the only premise by which any man, any time can go to God. In Second Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3, the Bible calls Jesus, O oh God, Blessed be the God and Father of Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies. Mercies. Okay? Forgiveness is the mercy of God. Healing is the mercy of God. Provision is the mercy of God. Everything that we receive from God is the mercy of God. And mercy has got nothing to do with what I or I you deserve. Because we do not deserve mercy. Um, we don't deserve anything. We don't deserve anything. That's why God shows mercy. That's why the Bible says of above all things, His mercies are new every morning. One of the first things, fundamental things, which we need to understand, like, oh, your little faith, okay, as we go further and further and further, our faith is going to be tested. Going to be tested. One of the fundamental facts faith has to understand is that we deserve nothing from a holy, all-powerful, righteous God. Therefore, when we go to do God, we appeal based on His mercy. On His mercy. And the problem is, once we receive mercy, we have to be very careful that we don't revert and the old self goes back into its default setting of pride. That is why in the Beatitudes, only connected with mercy, God uses something. Uses something. Because then what happens is, self-righteousness sets in. This is a very dangerous thing, and we do not know how subtle it is. Because we forget what mercy is. We don't deserve mercy. If you go to John chapter 2, Word 7 and 8. When my soul fainted within me, okay, he had to come to that point, go down and down and down and down to the belly of the fish, the bottom of the ocean, covered with weeds. He had to come, and by the time third day comes, I remembered the Lord. What did you remember the Lord? What did you remember about the Lord? That he's a merciful God. That's what he remembered. That's what he remembered. He realizes, you know what? I don't deserve. Therefore, I'm appealing on your mercy. That those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. Now let's go to Deuteronomy 7, 7 and then Deuteronomy 9, 4 to 7. God did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in numbers than any other people, for you were the least of all people. And 9 verses 4 to 7. Do not think in your heart after the Lord your God has cast them out before you, saying, because of my righteousness, God has brought me in to possess this land. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that God is driving them out before you. 
It is not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart that you go in to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God drives them out before you and that he may fulfill the word which the Lord swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Therefore, understand that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stiff, naked people. Remember, Okay, and he tells them about their own behavior. So first thing, the origin of Israel is mercy. It's mercy. Not because you deserved it, but I showed you mercy. And now, over the years, after some time, you forget the mercy of God. And then you start thinking, I am righteous. That's why I, I am special. And now when God is telling you to go to Nineveh, going to Nineveh, you're standing there and judging them, saying that I am good, they don't deserve it. So God says, I have to teach you a lesson. You have forgotten your country's history. And this is the same thing that happens to all of us on a personal level. This is where, after some time, our faith doesn't work. Because God says, I have to humble you before your faith will work. Because everything that we receive from God is free. It's an act of mercy. Even his grace, even of us, everything is free. From the beginning till the end, none of us can earn it. That is why the Bible says, no man will boast. Cannot boast. So there are two blind men. Okay? And we are all blind. And what do we need? Mercy. We need mercy. That's what they are crying for. They are crying for mercy. And if you look through the Bible, whenever there is a cry for mercy, God stops. He stops. He stops. To the cry of mercy, God will stop. Cry of mercy, God will stop. Why this is important is okay. Because our righteousness itself is a gift. Our righteousness is a gift. We have to understand this very carefully because what happens, this is what the law does to us. Um, go to Luke 18 and read from verse 10 onwards. 18 verse 10 onwards. Okay. <clears throat> Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, so basically he is saying that I don't need mercy. What I am asking from you is justice. We do not realize often we go to God with that same frame of what I am asking for you. See, even when you are fighting for justice, you are still standing on the ground of mercy. And you never look down on the other person who may be wicked. This is not easy. This is not easy. Because I have honestly some of the most wicked people living, writing me mails. And when I read their mails and I reply to them, I really feel sorry for them. I really feel sorry for them. You know, people who are listening understand who I am talking about. They have nicknames called Stinker and Hyena and all. The reason, the, the reason is this. I will tell you the reason. Because personally on one-on-one, I have encountered people like them. 
And they are tormented day. See, we do not know what torment is. We have problems outside with lack and a sickness in the body and issue. We do not know what their torment is. If we know their torment, we will feel sorry for them. And they will write to me saying there is no heaven or hell. It's a myth. Hell is on earth. Do you know why they are saying hell is on earth? Because that is their experience every day. Every day. That's their experience. So even when we are fighting for a cause, we are standing on the ground of mercy. Never standing on our own righteousness. It is not easy. Because after some time, God will refuse to answer our prayers. Because the problem is, our righteousness of my faith, our obedience of faith is not the obedience of the law. Because it, it, it can be the same thing. Outwardly the action is the same thing, but inwardly it is not the same. If inwardly it becomes like that of the law, we will end up like a Pharisee. And we will never have mercy for anybody. And we are even in our prayer life going to God based on the assumption, I want justice. I want justice. And God says, you cannot have justice. Because if you want justice, I have to judge you. Instead, we are appealing on the ground of mercy. Appealing on the ground of mercy. And whenever there is a cry of mercy, okay, mercy, you will see Jesus stops. Jesus will stop. He will stop. Okay, And he will answer the cry of mercy. <clears throat> so what happens is, the Bible says in that chapter, verse 28, 928. They were following him, calling mercy, mercy, mercy. And Jesus went into the house. So the question is, <coughs> why did he go into the house? Right? Because these are two blind people on top of that. Why would you go into the house? And these are fundamental principles Jesus teaches and Jesus does practicals. Because one of the things that Jesus said is that men should always pray. And never give up. There is a faith that quickly gives up. And that faith God will not honor. No God honor. See here. What if there is no response? What if God does not seem to notice? What if God is silent? And God seems to be going even further away. Okay, what will you do? Because God, see, our faith has to be tested. God is looking for persistent faith. And the whole narrative is the same thing. There's a woman with an issue of blood for 12 years, lost her money, lost her health, and she's persistent. And God honors her faith. And then there is Jairus who falls at his feet, and Jesus is going, he gets the news, his daughter is dead. Jesus says, don't be afraid, only believe. So he's persistent. He continues to go with Jesus in spite of hearing, okay? So you will see God is honoring persistent faith. So basically Jesus is saying, would you give up? So easy? No? Because faith is basically asking from God. In prayer, we are asking from God. You do not have because you don't ask. In prayer, he, as he says, when you stand in prayer and you ask, you believe the question is, in Luke 18.1, Jesus says, may not to always pray, and it's not about praying, and not lose heart. Meaning, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. The question is, will we be persistent in pursuing the mercy of God? Go to Second Samuel chapter 12, verse 22. 
This is David. We know what happened. God said, the child that Bethsheba has born will die. As soon as he heard, the child became sick. And David is on the face of God, face on, face down on the ground for seven days. Seven days. And on the seventh day, the child died. So the question is, on what basis did he lie before God for seven days? He says, who can tell whether God will be gracious or merciful that the child may live? The simple question is this. Did David, through his persistent faith, change the heart of God? No. No. But the question is, through that persistent faith, did God change David's heart? Yes. He did. Because verse 23, he will say, what happened during that seven days? What happened during the seven days? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him. What happened in that seven days? In that seven days, David didn't change God's heart, his decision. But what happens is that God changed David's entire perspective of that situation. Honestly, I'm telling of all the sons David had, there's one son about whom he had peace. It was this son. You look at all his sons. Which son will you have faith about, peace about? One son, he can have absolute peace. Peace. You know why? Because he was. So how God will answer, we do not know. But God will always answer. If we do not give up. If he had given up, or if he had not prayed at all, he would have never known this. Never known this. We need to understand why it is, why it is, okay, why it is. So Jesus goes back and when they follow him, persistently follow him into the house in verse 28, Matthew 9, 28, he asked them a question. Do you believe that I'm able to do this? Okay, now he turns the table on to us. Do you believe? I can do this. It's not whether God can do this. Do you believe that I can do this? We say all things are possible. Right? That's not the question. Do you believe all things are possible with God? See, now he's personalizing this. Jesus died. That is history. Jesus died for me is salvation. Lord of confessions are history. It is not personalized. Personally, do you believe? Do you believe? That's the question God is asking. Do you believe I can do this? John 11, 25 and 26. Martha and Jesus is having a conversation. Jesus makes a statement. This is a fact for fact. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. This is a standard statement. Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Then he personalizes it. Do you believe this? You are the one who needs a resurrection now. Your brother is dead. Now the question is, do you believe this? If you believe, you will get your brother back. But if you don't believe, he will stay there. 
question. Now, can Jesus raise the dead? Of course he can. Can he do anything? Yes. The point is that God is not putting the honors on God. God is putting the honors on us. Why is he doing this? Because he says, this is the way I want you to live. There is no other way for us to live. This is the only way you can live. You have to personalize faith. Do you believe I can do this? Do you believe? Look, these men, these two blind men, I've heard many things. They have heard about the demon-possessed man in the gatherings. They must have heard. Of, maybe they were in that crowd where they saw the woman's testimony. They must have heard about Jairus' daughter. So they must have heard. They must have heard. They must have heard. Oh, he did it for that man. He did it for that woman. He did it for this man's child. Now the question is, will he do it for you? We can get excited when we hear testimonies. But the point is, do you believe it will happen to you? We hear about the Ashbury revival. We hear it is spreading to other campuses. But the question is, do you believe the same Holy Spirit can give you a revival? Otherwise, that what is happening is irrelevant to you. Irrelevant to you. It is not going to make an iota of difference in your life. The question is what God is doing there. Can you do it for you? Do you believe? That is how it, how it works. That's how it works. So what does he do? He touches their eyes. In verse 29. Yeah, 929. He touches their eyes. Saying, according to my incredible ability, let it be to you. He doesn't say that. His ability is always the same. But if his ability is always the same, why do we fall short of it? Because he makes a statement here. According to your faith, let it be to you. That is why he asked them the question, do you believe that I can do this? And they said, yes. He said, okay, now let it be onto you or unto you according to your faith. This is God's intention. What is his intention? Live by faith in the mercy of God and the grace of God. You cannot access grace unless you have access mercy. There is his first gate you have to cross. It is called the gate of mercy. And the nature of mercy is that it is, it is easy to receive mercy first time. Second time, it is not easy to mercy, receive mercy. Second time to receive mercy, you have to be merciful. You have to be merciful because you have to realize, I got it free. I got it free. God says, you have received freely. Now give freely. First time, okay, we don't understand. We hear the cross, we are cut to the heart. What should we do? And God shows mercy. And after that, it's like that, remember that, that servant illustration? And after that, he says, we are running and rushing for grace. Grace is the power of God for healing, for sickness, for provision. Everything is called grace. Under that grace, everything is. That's the power of God. But for that to flow in, we are stuck at the gate of Mercy, because our framework has gone back again to the law that I want justice. How do you know? Because deep inside we start saying, I am, I am 
actually so good, not like that man. That man, you know that man? He's wicked. My enemy, you know that? He's wicked. But God says, when it comes to mercy, you're all on the same ground. Maybe the nations before you were wicked. I did not drive them out looking at your righteousness. Because you are also wicked. I'm driving them out because they were wicked. That's what he's been telling it. Because you are a stiff-necked and stubborn people. Because he said, and then he uses, remember in 9, he uses that final illustration. Do you know how you rebelled in the desert? What is he saying? He says, your rebellion is actually worse than their wickedness. Because I have revealed you my mercy and your goodness for so many years. And yet you are rebelling. They have not known my mercy or goodness at all. That's why he said, Woe to you, Korazim. Go, woe to you, Bethsaida. He says, on that day of judgment, it will be better for Sodom and Gomorrah than for you. Why? Because they never tasted my mercy. They never tasted my goodness. But you did. And once you tasted my goodness, you were crying, 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 crying in Egypt. I heard your cry. I sent my man. I brought you down. And as soon as you're brought down, of course, first you danced and all. Three days later, you started complaining. Meaning, you know, your framework is that we deserve water. We deserve bread. We deserve meat. We deserve... How did... You're not crying for mercy. Your default setting has already changed. You're upset. You're angry. That's what I said. This offense and this anger, is a, it's, it's, it is a sign of righteousness. Self-righteousness. And God gets offended by it. Offended. We can be offended, we can be angry with the cause while showing mercy to the people who are behind that cause. We need to be able to distinguish between the two. If you are angry with people, then God says, on what ground are you standing on? On what ground are you standing on? What is the ground you are standing on? You're standing on the ground of that. You, you become a Pharisee. Because you're saying, I do, I do, I do. I'm not the, like that, that fellow. But he says, in my eyes, you are like that fellow, actually worse than that fellow. Because he's at least crying for mercy. You're saying justice. If you ask for justice, then I will give you justice. But if you stand on the platform of mercy and cry out for mercy, I will show you mercy. And in the ground of mercy, you fight for justice. Fight for justice. Because how do you know? How do you know? On what grounds are you... Let us think about it. On what grounds are you judging Saul of Tarsus? Yes, his record is there. This is what he did. He put many people to death. He put his caste, his lot. He put many into the prison. He persecuted. But then one day when he was hit by the mercy of God, do you see what he became? He became a vessel of mercy. So what grounds are you judging people? You are seeing only them as evil, wicked. But you do not know if they were touched by the same mercy of God that touched you, they would probably become ten times better than you. Are we getting the picture of what God is trying to say? This is where faith stops. And faith doesn't move anymore. Because we know what? Every day we have to come back over and over and over on the ground. Like we say, the cross. We may 
we may preach about the cross, but do we understand the ground on which the cross stands? The ground, the cross stands, is even ground for every man. It's based on the mercy of God. Mercy only. We don't understand that. We, the cross hasn't worked. And that is there, the two people in the Bible, among other than Jesus. One is Moses. Lord, blot my name out. Paul, I wish you would blot my name. And he's asking the names of his enemies to be put in replace because they understand the ground on which faith operates. Because how did you receive salvation? Yes, it is your faith. Faith in what? Faith in the mercy of God and mercy of God alone. So he turns it around and he says, you know what? Do you believe? Then let it be according to your faith. Let it be according to your faith. That's why over and over and over, God emphasizes these two words in this Bible, in Jesus especially. Either it is faith or the word believe. Believe, 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 believe. In James 4 and verse 2 and 3 about prayer. You want something but don't get it. You kill and covet but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. Then he says, you do not have because you do not ask. You do not have because you ask. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. You ask amiss. You ask wrong. So the simple thing is this. Simple formula is this. If you ask right, you will receive. So the whole question is, that's what you say, all things are possible to him who believes. The one who believes is asking. When he's asking, he's believing. All things are possible. So how do I ask right? What is the ground on which I ask right? And the first and the foremost ground on which we ask right is based on God's mercy. You know, this was the indictment over Job, who was actually a righteous man. He was the right, most righteous man in his generation. And God is telling him, you don't understand one thing. Even you are standing on the ground of mercy. You don't realize all your righteousness is worth nothing before me. Yes, you may be the most righteous among all men. I give you a commendation. Suddenly you are thinking you are as righteous as God. Even you are standing on my mercy. That is why it took God 40 chapters. In the 42nd chapter, he says, I cover with my ashes. I understand where I went wrong. So to pursue righteousness, to be blameless, integrity, all that is good. But after all that, you're still standing on the ground of mercy. This is the danger. We can pursue and pursue and pursue and actually become righteous and with integrity and everything. But we realize I am standing on the ground. How do you know you are standing on the ground of mercy? Because you will look at others with mercy. If you are not able to look on others on mercy, that means you are now standing on the ground of righteousness. Self-righteousness. A righteousness which you worked for. And you know what happens? It blocks faith. It blocks receiving from God. God refuses to listen. And you are in trouble. 
you are in trouble you want an intervention from god but god is willing to help anybody a poor woman a rich ruler anybody is willing to help if you come on the ground of mercy he will stop it doesn't matter whether it's a widow it's jairus it is blind people god has no issue so god says according to your So we become very sanctimonious and say, Lord, according to your will. Lord, according to your plan. Romans 12.2 That you may prove what is the good, acceptable and perfect will of God. Do you know God's will is always good? God has no bad will. Or bad ill will towards anybody. God has only good will. Jeremiah 29.11 I know the thoughts. NIV will use the term. I know the plans I have for you. I, I know the plans. God has no bad plans for anybody. It's very difficult to talk to people. Very, very difficult. I have two young girls living in my life, in my house. And they are semi-literate, not very literate. And uh, they come coming to the knowledge of God. But to tell them that my God is your God. And the same God has only good plans for you. He has no bad plans for you. To get into a person's heart. Because we look into this world and we lift up education, we lift up talents, we lift up looks, we lift up money, we lift up power, we lift all these things. And then it's very difficult for you to believe that God has a good will for you and a good plan for you. And God says, that's all I have. I don't have any bad plans. Even to the people who went to hell, I had only good plans for them. That they should be with me in heaven. That's why I sent. The Bible doesn't say God so loved the church. This is God so loved the world, the entire world. Entire world. That he sent his only son. That if anyone, the most wickedest, you see it didn't matter whether it was Ahab or Manasseh. When they went to the ground of mercy, God looked at them with mercy. It didn't matter. Now, who will show Manasseh mercy? Manasseh is a type of today's most wicked, evil master. A fellow who has burned babies for his power. Shed blood on the streets of Jerusalem. And then the judgment came. He was taken in irons to Babylon. He is lying in prison. But in the prison, when he turned to God on the ground of mercy, God showed him mercy. So what is God is saying? Through the worst, wickedest man or the most righteous man, everybody can come only on the basis of mercy because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And your quantum of sin is irrelevant before God's justice. Because the judgment is the same for any sin. The wages of sin is death. Is death? All are equal in the cemetery. You know that? Every, it doesn't matter what great grave or tomb you may. Underneath everybody, the same worm will go from here, the poor man and eat the rich man also. Everybody. See, to get this in, get this in. Because if you don't get this in, we ourselves 
See, Jonah was Jonah's block from God lifting him. So he had to be brought down. He's in torment. And then he says, he who pursues worthless idols. What is worthless idol? Self-righteousness that comes by the law. What do they? They forsake their own mercy. Jonah, forsake their own mercy. They are forsaking their own mercy. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. So this Pharisee is coming there and he is giving a great list of his works of righteousness. He forsook his own mercy. So God asked this question. Who went home justified? You can be only justified if you receive the mercy of God. Who went? And the Pharisees were gritting their teeth. They got so angry. So angry. And this is where we all get stuck. So Jesus tells him, according to your faith, let it be according to your faith. And you know what happened? Suddenly, see when God flips the coin, that's the test. Do we really believe? Okay, you followed, you pursued, you shouted, you screamed, you went to the house. Do you believe I can do? Of course, God, I believe. So let it be according to your faith. Jesus only touched and he stood back and says, let it be according to your faith. And their eyes opened. So they believed. Their faith was proved. Faith was proved. <laughs> Mark 9. Verse 14. Onwards, 14 to 18. Onwards, okay, 14. When he came to the disciples, now he was out on the Mount of Transfiguration. He had this awesome, the others had an awesome experience. They saw Jesus transfigured in a little part of his glory that could be visible to the human eye. Come down with all pumped up, came down. And when he came to the disciples, he saw the other disciples, the nine or more. He saw a great multitude around them, scribes disputing with them. There's an argument going on. Okay. Argument. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son. You brought you my son who has a mute. I was actually bringing them to you and you were in here. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. They could not. That's how the narrative stops in this. They could not. There is argument. There is conflict over healing. Or now healing. Healing is not the will of God. There must have been some Baptists among them. They said, no, I, we told you, no, healing is, deliverance does not happen now. That is all over with. All kinds of arguments are going on. So Jesus comes there and says, every argument you are making is actually about me. What is your argument? What is your argument? Because we do not realize when we talk about these things, the argument is on two sides. Is God the same or has God changed? Okay. And they brought him to Jesus. So the thing is that because some people prayed 
and you did not receive the answer to your prayer does not mean it is not the will of God or you should give up. Question, what if Jesus had not come down from the mountain? You would have given up. Lot of people pray. Pray and people give up. Okay, people give up. People can go from, I still remember that girl from the other church who had come to my house. Chabardasti, under pressure came. They had gone to all the churches. I don't want to name the churches, but it's got nothing to do with me. But they went to all the big ones. Then somebody told that person, go to Pastor James. Now I said, I don't want it. They called me many times. I said, I don't tackle any other church's problems except mine. I do not interfere in your other church problems. But one day when I went home, they were sitting there. Father and daughter, demon possessed. You should be casting out demons, not people. And they came prepared. They brought a bag also with them, with clothes. I said, okay, you may have to stay. They said, no, we came prepared. Okay, I said, okay, fine. Okay. By two in the morning, girl was delivered. Demon is gone, perfectly fine. Now, working very well. Earning money, everything, okay. But the thing is that, what if they had given up after the third or the fourth pastor? Is it, oh, and the record, it is not God's will that our child should be delivered. You know how people give up? They change their doctrine according to their experiences and not on who God is. Who God is. You cannot change who God is according to your experience. That's what I keep saying. There are many things in the Bible which I have not experienced that's irrelevant. God is still the same person. I haven't walked on water. So that does not mean you cannot walk on water. You cannot walk on water. Oh, I have not walked on water. Now nobody walks on water. Who told you? Who told you? That's why to these little children I give them the books like Meltari and all you. You grow in this faith of God right away. A man from Indonesia, East Timor, who walked on water. Because there was no other way to cross. The river was flooded. And he one more team was going. And he heard the Lord say, walk. And because he walked on water, the other side, all Muslims who could not cross, cross believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. They had no wine. When they got saved, they had no wine. For 52 Sundays, they prayed over water and made it into wine. Now we'll say, oh, those things. Who told you? Who told you? God says, you limit my hand by my, your unbelief. Unbelief. You know, faith takes the limits of God. So honestly, with our little children, give them books full of faith. Let them grow believing. This is my God. This is my Father. All things are possible. All things are possible. So God puts this on us, on us. He puts it on us. And he says, no, they are arguing, they are arguing. But thank God, this man brings it to Jesus. Verse 19, Jesus' response. Look at Jesus' response. They are all upset and arguing. And Jesus is also upset. And his response, what is he upset at? He answered him and said, Oh, faithless generation. He says, do you know where the problem lies? 
The problem lies. You are a faithless generation. You have no faith. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? What is he saying? How long do you think I'm going to be there in your midst? This should be your default setting. You should be able to handle all these things by your own faith in God. I am not going to be there with you always. I am not going to be there with you always. I want all of you to live by faith as I lived. This is what God is saying. He says the issue here is you are a faithless generation. He doesn't say you are this and your issue is an issue of faith. You are an issue of faith. You are a faithless generation. And he he is literally in his physical. That is why Paul says we do not want to know Jesus in the flesh. We don't want to because if we want if we want to know him, he can be only in one place in one time. We want to know him as he is the spirit of God. And if the spirit of God is in me, I can do what he has done. I do not have to live under demonic possession. I do not have to live under the control of sickness. I do not have to be constricted the physical things. I am called to live by faith. So Jesus says, how long? And then he says, bring him to me. Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him and he fell on the ground, wallowed, foaming at the mouth. This is what you need to understand. Sometimes we bring our issue to the right person, Jesus himself. And the situation becomes worse. And we give up there. First we give up. Because the disciples couldn't do anything. Second, when we bring to Jesus, the situation becomes worse. The question is, will we quit or not? This is where everything is connected. What is that you believe? Do you believe some things are possible to those who believe? Almost all things are possible to he who believes. Or do you believe all things are? It doesn't matter how worse the situation is. I believe absolute Total deliverance is the will of God. Do you believe? Do you believe? Do you believe? Because the situation becomes worse. And it is becoming worse before in the presence of Jesus, the real, actual, living presence of Jesus, a situation becomes worse. Do you think it will not be in our presence? The question is, why is Jesus allowing these things to happen to teach us? In the midst, in the face of the worst physical manifestation or obstruction, don't give up. Men ought to always pray and not give up once you understand the will of God, the goodness of God, the mercy of God. You do not give up. You never give up on deliverance. You do not give up on sickness. Don't pick up what God told Paul. That is fantastic. My grace is sufficient for you. What is he calling him? To live by faith one today. It doesn't matter what that affliction is. I will give, I can give you victory in one moment. I can give you victory one day at a time. Every day I promise you victory. Both are victories. Both are victories. That's what he's talking about. And we have to come there, you know. When all have failed, we can still take it to Jesus. And when you take it to Jesus, the situation may become worse. Worse. 
and the bible says in verse 21 okay so don't get rattled by all that jesus is asking questions how long has this been happening to him okay see when you go to a doctor the doctor asks questions ask questions how long how long you had fever Oh, it only started this morning. And then don't worry. It's been there for seven days. He says, I want this test done. So God also asks questions so that we will know every problem that we face, roots are different. Some problems, you see, why was God patient with the people, children of Israel in the desert for 40 years? Okay, he could, they couldn't enter, but he was merciful, took care of them, very well of care of them for 40 years. They lost no battle. They had food every day. They had protection. Enemies did not kill them. They had cloud cover. They had light. They had everything, God. Why? Because their problem was deep-rooted. You see, their slavery was 400 years old. Can you be delivered in one day? Yes. But were they willing to deliver, believed to be delivered? No. But the problem was very, very long. Second generation was very easy because all of them or most of them were born in the desert, not into slavery, into freedom. Into freedom. So it was very easy with them. So when the fathers were talking about Egypt, Egypt, the children did not know Egypt. They did not know Egypt. They did not know Egypt. So God was merciful. Sometimes some of the problems, that's why we had that old message called sin, iniquity, and uh, and the greatest and the most powerful iniquity is pride. Because it is 6,000 years old. Other iniquities can be one generation, two generation, three generation, but pride is 6,000 years. So everyone who is born is struggles with pride. And pride is a stumbling block. It's a stumbling block. And pride will always manifest ultimately into self-righteousness and is always going before God and asking for justice and not on mercy. That is why it is so easy for God to redeem Ruth because she's standing only on the ground of mercy because you are a Moabite. And Naomi is standing on the ground of righteousness. And she's upset with God. I went full. You brought me empty. You are angry with me. She's standing on the ground of righteousness. And she's upset with God. Yet God is merciful to both of them. But God can use only one person. So we need to understand how it works. How long? How long is your problem? How long? The man says, from childhood. We need to realize some of the problems we face are from childhood. Childhood. Some of the problems are very recent. Some of the, see, childhood problems, childhood problems have to be dealt even with childhood problems. What we should realize is the mercy of God. Look at verse 22, then we will understand the mercy of God. This is what the father is saying. From childhood, what has been happening? He has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. If you can do anything, have compassion on us. So he's appealing on God's mercy. Mercy. What is he saying? From childhood, this child has been thrown into fire and thrown into water. You go to Isaiah 43 and read verses 1 to 3. You will realize what God is trying to tell us over here. 
Now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by my name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burnt, nor shall the flames scorch you. Why? For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom. Ethiopia and Seba in your place. You know what God is telling him? The man who's testifying is not able to realize your son has been thrown into the fire and thrown into the water all these years that has come through because I am his God. It was my mercy that kept him alive. It's my mercy there. And we need to realize there are certain problems which caught into us right from childhood. And we are still surviving today because it was the mercy of God that kept us even when we did not know him or we were aware of him. So we come to God always on the platform of mercy. Mercy. And how do you know you have understood the mercy of God and you are standing on the mercy of God because God says, Blessed are those who are merciful. They shall obtain mercy. People who have understood the doctrine of mercy are merciful people. Merciful people. They are merciful people. And that's what God is talking about. See, there was a man who was by the poolside who was sitting there for 38 years. God comes and asks him, do you want to be made whole? Why? He's another type of Israel. 38 years Israel wandered in the wilderness. Two years to Kadesh Barnea and after they said we cannot. So 38 years is one. So 38 is mentioned only two times in the Bible. 38 years Israel wandered in Deuteronomy and 38 years and God asked him, 38 years your forefathers wandered doing nothing. You will also sit here doing nothing and die. Do you want to get well and move into your promises? And he picks up his mat and walks. Here is another boy, typical of the history of Israel. They were taken into nation, into nation, through the fire, through the water. There is still Israel is standing. Why? Because of God's mercy. God's mercy. And this father is appealing to Jesus based on only one platform. Anything can be asked to God. What is that? The mercy of God. The mercy of God. Let's go back. Verse 23. Lord, I am appealing for mercy. The spirit is upon him from childhood. Throws him into the fire. Throws him to the father. Jesus puts the coin back on to the father. If you can believe, it's not whether I can believe. Because God believes anyway. God believes in everything he says. So the issue is not with God, the issue is with us. If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. All things are possible to him who believes. That's a question. What is the solution? We need to realize in every situation that we face, the solution has been given to us. Can you believe this is possible? Can you believe? If you can believe. To Jairus he said, only believe. So we have to reach that place where we can believe. That is the purpose of meditating on the word of God where we can believe. Where we can believe. 
that is the purpose of the preaching of the word of God. That is the purpose of the meditation of the word of God, where we come in every situation where we can stand and say, I believe. And God will ask you this question, why do you believe? Why do you believe? First, I believe all things are possible with you. I look at creation. This is nothing I believe. Two, I am able to believe by looking through your word and your promises. This is your will for me. I am able to believe. I am able to believe. Because if it is not God's will, I cannot believe. That's why the Bible says, and Peter says, he has given us his exceedingly great and precious promises. Through these promises, we partake of what? His divine nature. His divine in his divine nature, there is no demon possession. In his divine nature, there is no sickness that makes you useless in the kingdom of God. Okay, But in his divine nature, there is always mercy. Are you a merciful person? Through this partaking of his divine nature, has your nature become like God? That's why he says, you ask, you do not, you do not receive because you ask amiss. Because you are not asking to become a vessel of mercy, but to become a vessel of arrogance. Arrogance. So you are not receiving. Because he says, you are asking, but if I were to give you, you will not become like me. You will actually become more like the devil. I am going to give you money. What will you do with money? Already plans are all here. He says, that's why I don't give you money. I will give you power. What will you do? <laughs> Waiting for power. God says, that's why I cannot give you power. Because you ask amiss. Because your nature, your nature, your nature has to change. The first thing the promises of God does is not just receiving things. Because you see, I will tell you this very clearly. You can receive healing from God in an instant. But to walk your walk in your healing, you need to have the nature of God. Otherwise, your sickness will come back. You can, you can receive your deliverance just like that. But if you don't receive the nature of God, that fellow will come back with seven others. And your nature will change now the nature of the devil. So to receive healing, to receive deliverance is easy. To walk in it, there has to be a partaking of the nature of God. And for us, towards us, forget heaven. Forget heaven. Heaven is not the realm we live in. We live on earth. In heaven, don't go to Isaiah and say, the angels say, holy, holy, holy. That's their realm. Our realm is mercy, mercy, mercy. He says the first manifestation of the nature of God in a child of God is mercy. Are you a merciful person? And if you're a merciful person, he says, come and stand before me. Ask of me. You will receive because you understand how I function with humanity and how I function with, with Angels, with angels, no mercy was shown when they fell. His holiness was manifested, cast them out. With us, God is merciful. Even before he cast them out of the Garden of Eden, he covered them in his mercy and sent them out. That is the difference. That's the difference. Otherwise, we will not be able to go before God. We will not be able. We can only go to God based on this platform. And when you go on that platform, you will realize Jesus comes and says, can you believe? Can you believe? Now if you look, I mean, that's why for me, 
David is one of those fan- most fantastic persons in the Old Covenant. One of the most fantastic persons in the Old Covenant. Sometimes even more than Moses and all that. The reason is this. You would never see one of his prayers going unanswered. Do you know why? Because he always lived on the platform of mercy and he always showed mercy even to the worst of his enemies. He is a man who understood mercy. Once he becomes king, his first question is, is there anybody in the household of Saul to whom I can show mercy? Why? Because I remember there was a time in my season, Jonathan showed me mercy. Now I have to show mercy. And what that, Ziba comes and says, there is one, his script, he's not worthy of mercy. He says he will sit at my table like one of my sons and live all his life because mercy is given to those who don't deserve. He was a man of mercy. That is why God was saying, this is a man after my own heart. He understands man. You look at one man in the in David's life to whom he showed revenge. He never did. Justice, yes. Revenge, no. It was always merciful. It was always merciful. Why? Because he understood that is the only platform before which I can stand before God. And therefore, you know what? In any crisis David went in, when he prayed, God answered. God answered. He came through. Because that is the faith. If you believe, what should I believe? What should I believe? I should believe. God is a God of mercy. In your deepest, darkest moment, where you have sinned and got yourself in a rut, in the worst, nasty rut, if you can believe God is a God of mercy, He will pull you up. That is what we have to believe. Not about His power. That we look at creation and knows. His power, it is easy to believe. It is, you have to believe He is a God of mercy. The prodigal son is able to come back because he realizes my father is a father of mercy. It's a mercy. In Ziglag, David is able to recover all because he realizes I goofed up, 16 months lived in darkness, did everything that is evil, never prayed, never worshipped, never sang, never entered the temple. But my God is the God of mercy. Because if I go to him based on my prayer, on my fasting, on my Bible study, on my prayer life, I'm standing on righteousness. But I can stand on mercy. This is how you go to God. This is how you go to God. And this is, this is what is, all things are possible to him who believes. Do you believe? Because all things are possible to God. Let's, let's go to Luke chapter, Luke chapter 1, 34, 35. 34 onwards. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be? Since I do not know a man. It's talking about pregnancy. And the angel answers. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. You don't understand anything from this. Till today we don't understand how this happened. But to encourage her faith, encourage her faith, the angel says something. Do you know your cousin? Aged cousin? Elizabeth, your relative, has conceived a son in her old age. Forget about virgin birth. You don't understand it. But you understand old people don't conceive. And she was called barren. She has conceived. Why? For with God, nothing will be impossible. 
is telling her something which she cannot understand and then tells her something which she can understand virgin birth you won't understand holy spirit shadow you don't understand but do you remember your cousin she is very old and they all called her barren but she has conceived why with god nothing will be impossible and her reply is let it be unto me according to your word that is faith by faith we understand we understand so the question is this can we believe go to second kings chapter 7 1 and 2 second kings chapter 7 verse 1 and 2 elisha said hear the word of the lord thus says the lord tomorrow about this time a seer of fine fine flour shall be sold for a shekel two seers of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria too an officer on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of god and said look if the lord would make windows in heaven could this thing be he say it is not possible it's not the word of the lord has come the word of the lord has come they are going through a terrible situation samaria famine children are being eaten and the word of the lord comes and says tomorrow it will be over and the man says it's not possible and the prophet says it will be possible but it won't be possible for you it won't be possible for you but it's death and all let us leave it it won't be possible for you won't eat of it and the only way god's word will be proven that you will not eat of it is that you will die because if you love you will eat of it but you will die you will die how will you die and this is the same thing whenever we go in go into that set it is not possible god will say you will die in your unbelief that what was possible will never be possible in you it will die a natural death in your life because you believe it is not possible in spite of what god has spoken you will die like that it will not happen that is where faith comes all things are possible because these are the reports we get right impossible incurable too late jerus gets a report too late daughter is dead don't be afraid only believe too much 5000 people too much too little see these these are all have to be personalized because this is how we look at life this problem is too much my resources are too little for god says do you believe do you believe i can do it yes lord i believe you can do it now do you believe i will do it now it's not about whether god can do it see the leper when jesus came down said lord if you are willing he believed god can do it but he was not sure whether god would do it he believed god can do it but i don't know whether he will do it for me so how do you believe god will do it for you stand on the ground of mercy see for mercy you don't need any condition you don't need any condition if you go under the law you will need many conditions hezekiah is the only person who got healed under the law lord i did everything right right but even when he was crying he was crying for mercy the dangerous place where we where we stand 
Because these are things. These are things. Second Kings chapter 4, 7. She came out and told the man of God. And he said, go sell the oil and pay your debt. You and your sons live on the rest. Do you, because we have this prayer request constantly coming from different people. Do you really believe you can get out of debt? Do you believe not only that I can get out of debt, I will have excess to live on and to give? Do you believe? Do you believe? That is the thing. Do you believe? See, we are not going to God with our problems. She went to Elisha. So she got a solution. Right? The question is, do we believe? Go to James chapter 1, 5 and 6. If any of you ask wisdom, lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally, without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting. So we have to come to that point where we ask in faith without doubting. That is, you can believe now. Okay. So you have a situation. It is debt. You have a situation. The woman is in debt. She is in debt. Creditors have come to take two her children to sell as slaves. She is in debt. What does she need? She needs wisdom. How do I get out of debt? How do I live with my two sons? So she goes to the man of God. The man of God shows the solution is right there in your house. Right there in your house. Use that wisdom. You are out of debt. You can live. Now we don't go to Elisha. We go to God. God says, if you ask in faith... In whatever your situation is, you will receive the wisdom to get out of your crisis. Again, faith comes over there. What is God's solution? God's solution is a wisdom. The wisdom of God is foolishness for people. Okay, now you are a widow, your sons are going to be, and you have you are you are absolutely bankrupt, they're going to be sold. What is the wisdom of the world? This is not the wisdom of the world. This is the wisdom of God. The problem is, even when we are going to to God, our mindset is to receive an answer that fits it with the wisdom of the world and we will never receive it. Because if you receive the wisdom of the world, you do not need faith to apply it. Why do you need faith? You don't need faith. If you receive the wisdom of God, you cannot apply anything but faith into it. Go, all your neighbors, get empty vessels, now take your son, shut the door, the little oil you have, pour into every vessel, then go and sell it. You know what? You will need faith to go first collect those vessels. I have little flour, little oil, we are going to make our last bread, we are going to eat and die. You don't die. I have come here to give you life. You do one thing. Do as you told. But first make me a piece. Give it to me. The flour will not run out. The oil will not. Now to do that, that is God's wisdom. That's not man's wisdom. You do that, you will love. The Bible says she went out and did as Elijah said. See, even when we go and ask God and we pray God, we are not hearing because our mindset is the wisdom of the world. It is not the wisdom of God. 
when you go through the Gospels of Jesus Christ, where do you see the wisdom of man? Does your master pay taxes? Jesus asked Peter, do we pay taxes? King's sons pay taxes. For the sake of righteousness, let us do it. And there is a solution. This is not a human solution. This is not a human wisdom solution. This is the wisdom of God. Go there, put your line, catch a fish, coin is there, pay your tax, pay my tax. Now you tell me, where in the world will you get wisdom like that? So by faith, we are not asking for God's wisdom. Our problem is we say we have faith, but we are asking for man's wisdom because our mind is tuned. That is where the renewal of the mind has to take place. The renewal of the mind is the mind of faith. Lord, by faith, I understand. Like I said, you go through the Bible, every time God has asked a man to do something, it does not fit in with man's understanding or knowledge or wisdom. Moses will not bring Israel out of Egypt according to man's wisdom. That was 40 years ago. The sword trained this people, make them into an army, fight the Egyptians, come out as a conquering force. Half of them would have died. That was the wisdom of man. But God's wisdom, one rod. Nobody died. Everybody walked out. And when the rod came, they died. They loved. Who can do it? The walls of Jericho came down by faith, not by man's wisdom. Man's wisdom is standing there. As God has given all the promises. He's standing there and looking. How will this come down? And then he sees a man with a sword. Okay, that is what I liked. Are you with us or against us? Sword is good, no? He says, neither. Take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. Now I'll tell you what you have to do. What you have to do is not human wisdom. It will take faith to obey. This is our problem. This is our problem. We are always using faith to find human solutions to divine problems. It will not work. It will not work. And then we'll go around and say, God, in answer my prayer. God, in help me. God said, I did. You didn't listen. You didn't listen. So the question comes, do you believe? Do you believe? You know, you can sincerely, with all your heart, believe with all your heart something that is false. There was no guile in Nathaniel's heart. But with no guile, with absolute, all his heart, he believed nothing good will come out of Nazareth and the best came out of Nazareth. You can believe in something that is false. And you know what? Like faith can be transferred from generation to generation. So can be beliefs which are false. First thing you need to understand, fundamental principle you need to understand, you do not receive from God based on the principle of right or fair. You receive from God based on the principle of mercy. Because what these children study, teach them the wrong way. First thing what do you say? It's not right. It's not fair. And we tell God, it's not fair, it's not right. God said, you receive nothing from me on the principle of what is right or fair. You receive from me only on the principle of mercy. 
Because if you come to me based on the principle of what is right and fair, then I will give you what is right. I will give you what is fair and you wouldn't want it. You wouldn't want it. Because then your accusers are put away. I will put them all away. I will put you on the dog and I will judge you by your sins. Because when you bring fair and justice, you are talking about your accusers. But that is not how justice works. God says, when I have to judge, I'll put them all away first. For I will put you alone on the dock and I will say, let us deal with your sins first. Then I shall deal with theirs. First, let us deal with your sins. And therefore, you always go on the basis of mercy. Mercy. So we do not, we do not go by outward things and all. We go by, this is the principle of mercy. Mercy. And the Bible says, he mercies endures forever. You think we are going to live in heaven because of our righteousness? No, because of his mercy. It is forever. So today, as we go to God in prayer, why does God oppose the proud? One of the reasons God opposes the proud is they are not merciful. They are not merciful. They are not merciful. And God opposes them. No. God is merciful also because he is meek and lowly. So this morning when we go over there, don't look at your situations. Okay? Don't look at your situations. Don't look at and, and give up. So pass. Because we are so moved by the outward things. Okay? Yesterday my, it was so sweet, my mother's sister and my cousin flew in down all the from, from Delhi. She's also old just to see my, my, Mother. And my cousin was, she's also a doctor, my cousin was saying the sickness for which my mother needed the surgery and the other treatment. She says, do you know for a woman, it is one of the most painful illnesses a woman can get. That's why my, we didn't understand. My mother was groaning and moaning and groaning and moaning and groaning. I'm telling to people who are listening. Sometimes you are so moved by the outward pain of a person, all you want to do is release him or release her. Let them go. Look at the pain. The question isn't that. Have they made their peace with God? Two, have they finished their race? This is all false sympathy. It's not connected with the reality. Because on the other side, God has said there is no pain, there is no sorrow, there is no grief. But you have to deal with reality. If you have not made peace with God, you go to a place where there is only pain and torment and grief forever. And if you go on the other side, to the right side, without finishing your race, there is going to be enormous regret by saying, I wish I had finished so that I could have got all this to run serve God forever. So we don't look at these outward things and we moved by those things. Faith doesn't look at these things. Faith looks us and looks at it. I believe. I believe. I believe. God is good. It is His will is life, not death. He said, okay, I said before you life and death because of the laws that are governing. After you ate, before you ate, there was only the law of life. Once you ate, the law of death came in. Now there are two laws working, life and death, blessings and curses. Before that, there was only the law of life and the law of blessing. There was no curse at all. 
He blessed them fivefold blessing, the law of blessings, the law of life. They're living happily over there. They ate and the law of death came in. And the law of curses came in. And he still comes and says, I said before you life and death, blessing and curses. You choose. And he says, choose life. That has never changed. Never change. That is who God is. God is a God every day who comes and says, don't choose death, choose life. Choose life. So we don't choose death, we choose life. We choose life. And we believe in healing. We believe in resurrection. We believe. And we are not moved by the outward things. If I was moved by the outward things and listened to the rest of them, my mother would be dead now. We would have had a funeral last week. She didn't die. She didn't die. Because everyone was looking at the pain and saying, give morphine, palliative care, let her die slowly. I said, no, she's not going to die. Why? Because I'm not just a son. You're all children. But I'm a shepherd. And I know the time hasn't come for her to die. She's not ready to go. Therefore, I will not release her. will not release her. What I have to do medically, I will do to keep her alive so that when she goes, let her go in peace with God and with man. And others who have peace, they have to finish their race. Shouldn't go. Because if Jesus tarries to come for 100 years, what are you going to go sit there doing nothing for 100 years? You have work here, not there. Work there will only begin after the millennium. 100 years ahead you went there and sat there. Doing what? You got nothing to do there, right? Lord, work is here. When I leave here, it should be because you said, it is finished. Now hand over your mantle to somebody else and you come here because yours is finished. But nobody should go there unfinished. So don't be moved by the temporal because the Bible is very clear. The things that we see are temporal. The things that we do not see are eternal. And we, our faith makes decisions based on the eternal. So when we say, we shall live and not die, don't put the full stop there. That's not the reason. The reason is, and I will declare the works of, that is why I want to live. I have works still to be declared. The works of God in me, still there are incomplete, which has to be declared. And once the declaration is over, God says, it is over, I will go. I will go. There are works to be declared. I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. This is what Ephesians 2.10 talks about. The works that he had prepared even before the foundation of the world. There has to be a completion of that work. One that work is over, I have declared his works. You don't die, you go home in peace. You go home in peace. So people who are living should not be pressurized to make decisions for those who seemingly look as if they are dying. Don't trouble the master. Your daughter is dead. Jesus looks and says, I know what your daughter. She's got work to do. Do not be afraid. Only believe. He says, Talita, come. Little girl, get up. Give her some meat to eat. Give her some food to eat. Who was the last man we have heard who ate meat? It was David when his son died. That's why they were shocked. Master, when your son was ill, you were fasting. Master, now your son is dead. You are eating. Why? Because my work continues. I need strength for that. It's an act of faith. 
Because usually when people die, people fast. When his son died, he ate. Why he says, that's a closed chapter. Now I need to continue and declare the works of the Lord. I will eat. Eat. Everything into situations. If you do not bring faith, you will sink. You will sink. If you don't bring faith, the storm will overwhelm you. That is why we say, keep on. Oh, your little faith. Oh, your little faith won't do. Won't do. We have to come to that point where we can say, I can't believe. Beautiful, no? Only believe to Jairus. To this man. If you can believe. If you can. The answer, can everybody believe? Yes. Will everybody believe? No. But if you can believe. If you can believe. If you can believe, all things are possible. So let's have Peter and we shall believe. In the report of the Lord, MQ shall not die, Hannah shall not die, they shall live, declare. Of course, when you bring to Jesus, things will look worse. And Jesus is not even bothered about it. He's asking, he's not looking at the boy, he's asking questions to the father. You'll be all looking, oh, poor fellow. Jesus is asking questions, how long? He's not moved by that. Immediately we get very moved and so poor fellow. Jesus is not even looking at him. He's looking at the father. The crippled man is put down over there. He's not looking at them. He's looking at them. See, our eyes and Jesus' eyes are not the same. They're all looking at, oh, poor. Jesus is looking at, looking at their faith. He said, your sins are forgiven. Pick up your mat and go. So we need to learn to look where Jesus is looking. Otherwise, we'll be moved by our temporary. Because if you look at this fellow, our faith will also go. Yo, this is an impossible case. And so Jesus asked him question, how long? Faithless generation. He takes that tag and puts it on an entire generation. You are a faithless. He didn't say faithless father. <laughs> he said faithless generation. No, please don't misunderstand faithlessness as being, it has another meaning. It's not what it means. It, here it means lack of faith. Unfaithful, faithlessness is not unfaithful. You can be faithful without faith. You can be you're very faithful. You don't lie, you don't cheat, you don't defraud. You're very faithful, but you have actually no faith. When it comes to a problem, so faithlessness doesn't mean unfaithful. You can be very faithful and actually have no faith. While it can be another fellow who is very unfaithful but has faith. All the people who picked up miracles and walked were unfaithful people. <laughs> but they had faith. Now God says, now that you have experienced your miracle, become faithful. Become faithful. See it. To receive a miracle, faithfulness is not the criteria. The criteria is, do you have faith? Because that is where the problem of justice comes. Lord, I am so faithful. I go to church regularly. I never miss. I pay my tithes. I do this. I do this. I do this. I experience no miracle. And this fellow who is a crook, he never does anything in the church. And then one day he comes, he receives his healing, he says hallelujah and he walks away. Is that fair? God said it is fair. <laughs> Why? Because you are faithful, you have no faith. He is unfaithful, but he has faith. 
otherwise how can the prostitutes and the publicans get to the kingdom of god and these faithful pharisees are all outside <laughs> see you have to see it through the eyes of god so it begins with faith unto faith unto faith and unto faith as you are going there you are growing in faithfulness and faithfulness if you look is a fruit of the holy spirit now he's changing you from inside but faithfulness in itself outside of god is not the fruit of the holy spirit you can be fruitful faithful without any faith and because there are plenty of people in the world muslims hindus very faithful integrity they'll put any man but they are not saved if faithfulness will save you you don't need faith it's faith that will save you <laughs> save you so get this picture right yes let's have peter In your life every day There's no rest, there's no peace Till the Lord have His way Put your hands in His hands Rest secure in His plans Let the Lord, let the Lord have His way Secure 